You're tuned to More Living with Jim Brogan, broadcasted live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator. And he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for almost 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, folks, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee. Welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and I do want to give a shout out and a thank you to Dawn Steimer of Around the House uh, for having me on in the 8 o'clock hour to talk about some of the financial challenges of aging in place um, and how to handle housing issues, healthcare issues as we age, and all those things. Um, Dawn is such a great conversationalist, and she's so good at aging in place topics with master remodelers and everything that they do. So thank you, Dawn, uh, for having me on. Today, we're going to talk about weather and climate. Very interesting topic, and I've been excited about this show ever since we lined it up a couple of months ago, because... The weather is becoming more and more prevalent in the news and in all the different things happening around the world. You know, with the wildfires, seems to be such an active hurricane season because of the warmth of the waters, and there's so much going on. And even here in East Tennessee, believe it or not, in the, in the last few years, we've had two of our five wettest years on record, I believe it is. But we're going to get all that data today. You know, in Tennessee, we can be hot and humid in the summer to cool and even cold in the winter. And predicting the weather can be so tricky. Meteorologists and climate scientists are using tools and technology to see how patterns in the past can maybe help predict the future. Now, certain parts of the world are known for hot and dry weather or icy cold winters. And places like the Amazon River Basin are known for their constant misty rain. Fortunately for us in East Tennessee, we are known for being able to experience all four seasons with minor temperature swings as compared to other parts in the world. Now, when it comes to weather extremes like tornadoes, hurricanes, wildfires, and other weather-related events, we're pretty lucky that it doesn't happen that often here in Tennessee. But is that changing? As I mentioned, actually, we've had three of the ten wettest years on record in the past few years. So this morning, I'm excited to have Dr. Kelsey Ellis. She is a professor at the University of Tennessee, and she is a physical geographer specializing in applied meteorology and climatology. She teaches classes on the basics of weather and climate in the first segment of the department's introductory physical geography course, and then she then offers more advanced undergraduate and graduate courses on advanced meteorology and climatology. Good morning, Kelsey. Welcome to More Living. It's so great to have you on. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for letting me be here to talk to you guys today. It's great to have you on. Uh, Kelsey, how did you start in meteorology and climate science? Did you grow, were you always interested in the weather? 
I was, and I really think most kids are. I have a five-year-old now, and she likes talking about tornadoes and hurricanes, and that's not even me putting that in her head. Um, And then I decided for a small period of time I wanted to do television weather. I was interested in journalism, and so I originally thought I was going to go to school for that, but I ended up loving research. Um, And so now I've continued to do research on weather and climate, and I've been focusing a lot on extreme events like hurricanes and tornadoes and heat. So you have a specialty in climatology and meteorology, um, but your specific, as you mentioned, your specific expertise is in the climatology of hazards. So tell us a little bit more about what that means. Yeah, so um, people study hazards in ways and the climate of hazards. Um, some people use climate models to try to predict the future, but I do more of what you said in the intro where I look at past trends of different hazards like hurricanes and tornadoes and tell us um, and see what what happened in the past can tell us about maybe what was going to happen in the future um, and help us predict the future a little bit. Um, I'm also interested in where um, I'm collaborating a lot with social scientists to understand where climate risks, like where more tornadoes or stronger hurricanes occur with increased vulnerability as well. So kind of adding that social element, which is pretty important right now um, to focus on those people that don't have the means to mitigate um, from these hazards. Yeah, and I want to, we're going to get into all of that stuff. But, but first off, so meteorology itself is a true science. Mm-hmm. However, we all joke about the accuracy of daily weather reports. Right? <laughs> we all yeah. joke about that because it sometimes seems like someone just threw a dart at a board to determine what is the high temp and how much rain might we get. It seems to me it's gotten more accurate over the years, but ha- let, let's just start there. How hard is it to predict the weather? I would say it's very hard. Um, I did a little bit of forecasting or at least learned about it during my master's degree. And I have so much respect for what the folks are doing at the National Weather Service. I always say you should get your weather from the National Weather Service. That's what your taxes pay for. And they're also highly trained and they're local. And so our National Weather Service is in Morristown forecasting for East Tennessee. And they're extremely talented. Um, to, To look at these computer models and then pull it all together and know, well, if they're saying this, I know in my area, it probably actually means this, and to make an accurate forecast is pretty um, pretty amazing. And I think one example of really good weather forecasting is when you look at the National Hurricane Center, three days out, I think their average like landfall, they estimate where the landfall is, is only like 15 miles away from where it actually happens. And that's three days before a hurricane makes landfall. Um, so yeah, I think weather forecasting is pretty amazing. And I get, I take my hat off to um, weather forecasters. I think they're fantastic. I think one of yeah. the errors that you see most commonly is related to rain. And that's just because it pops up in one place and not in another. And so someone's like, they busted it, it didn't rain today. And someone else is like, my yard's flooded. Um, so it really depends on where you are. <laughs> That's a, that's funny. Uh, I think you, that's absolutely right. I mean, when when the, the hurricane stuff, especially, and then even where it goes when it comes inland, it's just yeah, remarkable yeah. how the the way they can predict that stuff and the way the science has grown. Now, mm-hmm. Kelsey, extreme heat, not just fires, but heat, have been on the increase in places like the Upper Northwest and Western Canada. Why is it so hot up there this year? Um, so scientists are still trying to figure that out. I've done a little bit of research on it um, since I knew I was going to chat with you, and that would probably be brought up because, I mean, the heat waves, for example, in Portland, I mean, it was much hotter than it then. I think they said it was like a 0.1% chance of it ever being that hot there. I mean, so it was extremely hot. And so we know, for example, overall, the area may be a degree or two warmer than it has been in previous years. But this heat wave was just well beyond that. And so right now, um, they're trying to figure out 
what conditions could actually make that happen. Um, one thing that we have been seeing that can affect heat waves and also cold snaps is changes in the jet stream. Um, so we have a jet stream that can move slower and sit for longer periods of time. And so say it's hot outside, if it sits for longer periods of time, it'll get hotter and stay hotter longer. Um, so that could be one thing, and that's one thing that they're looking into. Well, that's very interesting. And, and you know, I, I mentioned earlier in the intro there, Kelsey, about the swings in the weather, that we mm-hmm. don't see the type of swings here. I, I was in Northern California, and I'm not talking San Francisco area. I'm talking up near the Oregon border, in, in up in the mountains. You know, it, uh, and it's beautiful up there. Uh, and I was there to camp with my daughter uh, six years ago. Uh, and we've been back a couple times since. They go all the time. It's a place called JH Ranch, just a wonderful Christian camp up in Northern California for families and for and for youth. Just a phenomenal mm-hmm. place. But it's all outdoor-based. I mean, it's very outdoor-adventure-based type of a camp. And I remember... It, it got especially, we went the first week of August, and it got especially cool one night for that area. And then the next day, it was kind of normal. And when I woke up that morning, it was 46 degrees outside. This is in early August in Northern California. And it's about, I guess, maybe 3,000 altitude feet, something like that, kind of in the mountains. And then by the peak of the day, we were whitewater rafting, and it was 96 degrees. So we had a 50-degree swing in one day from cool to hot. Well, we don't see that kind of stuff here. But in other places of the country even, we see wild swings, and they deal with a lot more types of things like that. It's just an interesting anecdote I'm kind of offering just towards the issue with the extreme heat in the Northwest. Yeah, um, that's a good point. So one thing that helps us is also something that bothers us every day. So all of that humidity in our air that comes from the Gulf of Mexico primarily, that moderates our temperatures a good deal. And so it keeps us warmer at night and slightly cooler during the day. It also provides more clouds, which keep us cooler during the day. And so that, in part, is going to help keep that diurnal temperature range down and keep it from swinging so much from day to night. But if you notice, on the nights that are clear, um, and lower humidity will get colder, and then we'll get hotter yeah. on the days that are clear with lower humidity. Well, that's exactly right. So that so that humidity that we complain about all yeah. the time <laughs> with the high humidity in the southeast actually is helping us not have those wild swings. We're visiting this yes, morning with Kay, Kelsey Ellis. That's right. We're visiting with Kelsey Ellis uh, today on More Living. She's a professor of and, and specialist, really, in climate and meteorology. She teaches over at the University of Tennessee when we come back, I want to talk about some of the weather-related phenomenon in other parts of the world that we've seen impact us here in East Tennessee. So, And we'll get into some of the storms that are happening, and that's really getting into Kelsey's belly wick. So stay with us. We're living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan. We come to you every Saturday at 9 a.m. and again at 3 p.m. So you've got a lot of opportunity to hear us, uh, and we also uh, podcast our show every week. Uh, We'll have this show up uh, probably Monday, 
So you can go to BroganFinancial.com, click on radio. We're visiting this morning with Kelsey Ellis. She is a professor over at the University of Tennessee. We're talking about weather and climate. She specializes specifically in meteorology and climatology and really kind of looks at big weather events, significant weather events, tornadoes, hurricanes. And I know it's just fascinating. I'm fascinated by the weather. I know many of you are. My wife is. Has al- My wife has always been more fascinated than I am, have been. But um, And then it seems like we're having more weather-related events in the past few years and decade. Uh, Kelsey, let's... It's interesting how things that have happened in other parts of the country or even in the world that were rather related issues that we've dealt with in Tennessee. So I think about, for example, the sandstorm in Africa. I mean, it was unbelievable that that far away we saw the conditions from that sandstorm in East Tennessee. And then, of course, with the wildfires that happened out west, on the opposite end of our country, we had visible issues with our air quality and with cloud cover, well, smoke cover, in Knoxville. Is this common, or have weather-related patterns shifted that cause smoke and dust and all those things to travel that's different? I don't remember. I've been in East Tennessee all my life. I don't ever remember a sandstorm like that affecting East Tennessee from Africa. Um, So, yeah, it's... Uh, I love teaching intro, like uh, intro physical geography classes and weather and climate, because we one of the first things we do is we map out wind patterns around the world, and you can see that our wind typically comes from the west, and so that's why wildfire um, debris can actually make it into our atmosphere all the way over here. But then we also have the trade winds coming from Africa out of the east that can get caught up into our atmosphere as well here in Tennessee. Um, so, yeah, that's just kind of bad luck um, that something happened and the winds were um, coming from that direction at the time. Um, there's some cool stories throughout history of that happening. For example, volcanic eruptions happening um, and then affecting weather all around the world and causing um, extremely cool summer days because of all of the dust and particles that are in the atmosphere. Wow. It, it seems like... <laughs> The last two years, I mean, we had the you know, we had COVID hit us in 2020, and then in 20 we get into 2021, and we're like, hey, we can kind of like move into the normalcy. And then, of course, in addition to the Delta variant, on the weather side, we've had this we had that sandstorm, and I mean, we know the jet stream comes from west to east in the United States, but it's still remarkable that wildfires in California are affecting our smoke our air quality here. And then, of course, we've got the cicadas, and it seems like they're historically out in force. And didn't we have, what was the other thing we had with the the bugs? The, uh, was it locusts? What was it we had where we had such a record peak, Kelsey? I'm not sure. I only know about the cicadas. Okay. Okay. Well, that's okay. You're, (laughs) you're, uh, you're not an anthropologist. You're a meteorologist. (laughs) So um, now, now when it comes to, let's get into hurricanes. Mm-hmm. You know, in Tennessee, we're a pretty good ways from both coasts, so we don't get the real brunt of hurricanes, but we certainly receive their remnants, and it can cause things from flooding to spin-off tornadoes and things like that. Talk a little bit about the impact of the hurricanes for us here in East Tennessee. Yeah, so you nailed it. It really is about um, flooding and then tornadoes, um, and I think The wildest weather, so I've been in East Tennessee for eight years now, and I think um, I'm most impressed, I guess, in a bad way, is with our flooding problem in Knoxville. 
Um, so we've had some pretty severe floods since I've been here. Um, and some of it has to do with the rainfall and the type of rainfall we're getting these days, but also has to do with land use decisions. And um, it, so water will flow in one direction um, and cause roads to flood. Um, but I really think flooding is one of Knoxville's biggest problems, at least that I've seen in the last eight years. And yeah, hurricanes um, can show us that, right? And so getting some tropical storm remnants, um, it's interesting because like in some places, you know, I kind of talked about this earlier, you only get like an inch or two of rain. But if you're caught underneath a thunderstorm, like one strong storm, you can get 10 inches of rain um, and get severe local flooding. And so I think that's one of the big impacts of tropical cyclones here. And we're also um, seeing that tropical cyclones are dumping more rain and they're also starting to move more slowly, although that's um, kind of emerging research is that in some areas they're moving slowly, which causes them to rain longer. Um, so we could expect potentially then more rainfall from tropical remnants here. Um, and then, yes, the other aspect is the tornadoes in the outer band, um, and those will always be a problem for people um, inland as well as in the coastal areas. And I think it's sometimes we focus on where the eye is going to be and where the strongest winds are going to be, and then people forget, like, when you're far away from the eye, you still have that tornado potential. Well, and then, and then the flooding in, in near Nashville that happened mm -hmm. before the remnants of the hurricane. Can you walk yeah. us through a little bit what happened there? Um, so, you know, it's like I said, it's kind of um, what we're seeing with our rainfall. Um, one effect of our changing climate is that we're kind of seeing all or nothing type of rain. And so it can be really confusing to people because you're like, but I thought we're supposed to see more droughts. And it's like, yes, but when the rain comes, it comes a lot heavier. So we are seeing a clear climate signal of more extreme precipitation. Um, and yes, yeah, so they got a record, I forget, it's, it's more than 100 year, um, a huge, um, very rare rainstorm yeah. um I, how many, I forget do you remember how many inches they got was it like 15 it, it was a crazy it was a, i think it was more than that yeah it was a crazy yeah number. it was well, a lot so, and so no, go, ahead, go ahead well go ahead oh and so yeah i was just going to say um they happened to be in that one spot that that got much rain and then we're over here in knoxville and everyone's like what just happened we didn't get a lot of rain here so let's talk about the wet, the wet, the, 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 the incidence of rain. I want to come back to the, to the hurricanes and tornadoes, but let's, since we're on the topic of rain, in 2019, we had the fourth wettest record year on record. And incidents like the massive flooding that shut down parts of the city were initially blamed on 100-year flood conditions. But then in 2020, we saw the second wettest winter ever on record. So is this a pattern that you expect to continue in East Tennessee? Um, generally, we are seeing rainfall increasing across the Southeast. Um, but you know, the change in the average isn't the scary part. It's kind of like the change in average temperature, right? Like, so what if we're a degree hotter? It's really the extremes that are scary. And so that all or nothing aspect, that when it rains, it pours, um, is really going to be the problem. And similar to heat, which is affected by climate and also our decisions on the land, like do we have enough trees? Do we have too much impervious, too many impervious surfaces? Um, rainfall is the same. And so like we're dumping it in places that aren't prepared and haven't really been thinking about these heavy rainstorms. And so out, we're really behind as far as our infrastructure is concerned. So talk about the impact of what this weather variability and extreme weather patterns on things like farming and and even fishing in the in the on the coastal areas, but even farming in this area with rainfall. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a little intimidating, honestly, because I feel like as an average citizen, 
the changes that we're seeing in East Tennessee aren't really scary to me. Like if we have another heat wave, I know how to protect myself. I know not to go outside during the day. I have air conditioning. I have water. Um, but yeah, when your job depends on the weather to do certain things like farming, um, that gets a little bit scarier because what we're really seeing that's going to affect us and especially maybe farmers the most is more erratic temperatures. And that can also include because of, like I said, about the jet stream can cause more heat waves, but also cold snaps. Farmers are going to get it on both ends where they can have a freak cold period um, when maybe their stuff has already started growing and then they can get more flooding and then it can also get more hot days. Um, so yeah, farming impacts will probably be one of the bigger impacts in our region. You know, I'm going to tell you an interesting story. Uh, I'll never forget this. It's funny how you have things in your life you really remember. I was in my 20s, and I was singing at the time. My, my wife and I met singing professionally at a place called Lake Junaluska, North Carolina, the Junaluska Singers, and we sang with Glenn Draper and went all over the world. And we were, we were in Florida, and we were singing at some churches down there, and 16-person group. And we were in a community just south of the Tampa area. And we stayed, when we would do stuff like that, we would stay in their homes. Like the, the, some of the, ho the families in the churches would host us in their home overnight. And we stayed, it was so cool. Dee Dee and I stayed in a home of somebody who owned a, an orange orchard. Oh, wow. And they were getting, it was in January, I think, and they were getting a record low. And it was going to get down underneath 30 degrees. And that was kind of unheard of when you get down south of Tampa. They just don't get weather like that. And here's what was so cool. The problem is if it gets to 30, it would be okay. But if it got down to 27, 26, there'd be enough of a freeze that it would have killed his whole, uh, why don't we call it an orchard or a crop, but it would have killed his, or his grove. I guess it's a grove. It would have killed his orange grove. And listen to what he did. This was so fascinating. We went out with him in his golf cart, and he turned on his sprinkler systems in the entire grove. Because and, and, I, and he told us, he's taking us through these groves, checking all his sprinklers. And this is after we had sung at his church. I mean, we're over at his house at like 10 o'clock at night, and we're going around on this, on this uh, golf cart, and he's given us a, a lesson on this, on, on agriculture. And he said what would happen is with the sprinkler system, it'll produce a haze over the grove. And it would raise the temperature underneath that haze by three or four degrees. And it was just enough to keep that grove from freezing and killing that, those oranges. Isn't that amazing? But I, and I, 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 never, I hadn't thought of that in a while, but when you were talking about all these different things, it made me think back to that. Now, this was almost 30 years ago, 25 to 30 years ago. But isn't that amazing? I, I just think it that's really incredible. Is. But then that does make me think of what you're talking about. There, I think, is a parallel with how our weather patterns affect what we experience and, and what causes yeah. those effects. Yeah, when I, um, when I teach general education classes, sometimes it's hard for students. They get excited. They're like, oh, yeah, the weather will be cool to learn about. But honestly, it's pretty challenging if they haven't learned anything about it yet. And it's almost a lot of it's invisible. Like you just have to believe in these processes that you can't see. And I actually use um, the story of citrus crops and how we save them um, as an example that they might be able to see. And so because another thing they'll do is they'll 
they'll spray the crops with water. And then when that water freezes, I like to, I tried to teach this to my daughter and she thought I was crazy. So she wasn't quite ready yet. But if you imagine um, water vapor, it has tons of energy in it, right? It's this gas. You can't see it's moving around real fast. And then water has some energy. It flows. And then ice has like no energy. It's just sitting there. And so you spray it with water and then water freezes over the orange or over the plant. And so it loses all that energy, right? It goes from water and it's like, oh, I don't need any more energy. I'm just going to get rid of it and become ice. But it gives it to the plant itself. And so it freezes around the plant, but warm the plants up. And then the wow. plants can survive the freeze. Yeah, yeah see, and so it's a really cool example of applied science. It's just remarkable. And as it turned out that following morning, you know, he had all his thermometers out. It got down to, it was either 27 or 26 degrees or outside of, you know, in that area, but the, the temperature in his grove was 30. It raised wow. it just that extra three degrees or so to save his entire crop of oranges. Tell you what, we're visiting with Kelsey Ellis. She's a professor at the University of Tennessee. She specializes in meteorology and climatology, and we're talking about weather and climate. When we come back, I do want to get into, you know, the, the major events tornadoes, hurricanes, things like that, and how things are actually shifting, uh, especially with tornado areas and how the areas that are getting hit are shifting. Now, we're also going to have our dollars and cents segment. Believe it or not, when retirement, you have a 70% likelihood that you're going to need assistance to stay independent in your life, long-term care. So how do you plan for that risk to have the resources so that your caregiver your spouse, your daughter, your son can supervise your care rather than having to provide for your care where it then changes that person's life. So stay with us. we got a lot of great stuff coming up. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. You can catch us every Saturday at 9 a.m. and again at 3 p.m. Also podcast on our uh, website, broganfinancial.com. You can click on radio. Uh, we're visiting with Dr. Kelsey Ellis. She is a professor of and over at UT and specializes in climatology and meteorology. And it's just tremendously interesting to look at all these weather patterns and trends. Uh, before we get back to Kelsey, however, it is time for dollars and cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life and retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. Do you have a plan to cover the financial implications of losing some of your independence? You know, believe it or not, if you're 65 years old, you have a 70% likelihood that you're going to need long-term care, which really means you're going to need a period of at least 90 days or more where you need assistance to be able to live independently. And that means as a married couple, if you're married, you have almost a 50-50 likelihood 
that both spouses will need long-term care. And so this is a risk that has got to be planned for in the financial implication of the impact of that type of an event. And there are different ways to plan for that. The biggest thing that I would say is you've got to have a plan for this because what you want, ideally, is that you have resources in place for your caregiver, your loved one, that your loved one does not have to actually provide the care but can actually merely supervise the care. And there are different ways to do that. You may already have a traditional insurance policy uh, where you pay an annual or monthly cost for life. Uh, Some people can afford to self-fund this cost. And as long as you have the resources and understand the costs, that is a legitimate planning strategy. Uh, In understanding the costs, you know, it's about eighty to 85000 a year for a nursing home in East Tennessee. Assisted living could be anywhere from an average of forty-five to as much as 60000 a year. And there are also asset-based programs. And what that means is those are insurance programs where you own the insurance rather than renting the insurance. It's kind of like the difference in renting and owning a house. You know, if I rent a house for 10 years and then I move, what do I have? I have nothing versus owning a house. Well, traditional long-term care insurance is like renting the insurance. When you own it, it means you have an asset that you know you're going to get back at some point, either either you or more than likely your spouse or your kids are going to get that asset back even if you don't use it for long-term care. Uh, and, you know, you, now you have to be able to set aside money that you're not going to use for income but it's still an asset on your balance sheet. So I think in a comprehensive plan for retirement, financial planning, health care costs, and, and including long-term care in that, is the fifth prong of all of that. And so you just need a plan for can you afford to set aside some money to fund that risk, and then how are you going to fund it? If you can't afford to set that aside, are you going to do it by self-funding it and have a plan to pay for it out of your own income and assets, or are you going to look at some of the other options of particular interest is these asset-based policies where you own it and you know you're going to get something back. But just be sure to include not only health care in your financial planning, but also the risk of long-term care. Because if you do that effectively, you, more, you have such a greater likelihood of protecting the, the people you love the most, your spouse, your daughter, your son. That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. Do please check us out online, BroganFinancial.com. We've got just all kinds of information there. You know, my whole goal with everything I do with this radio show, teaching classes at Pellissippian UT for adult education, all the blogs that I publish, the special materials, tax planning in the new age, you know, uh, successful planning in, in, you know, for the coming decade, all that stuff. I do that so you can make informed and prudent decisions that can impact the quality of your life. And you can, we've we've got an e-newsletter we send out every week that just gives you links to the content that I've produced, like the podcast for my radio show or for the dollars and cents segments are also podcasts like what you just heard. Um, also, uh, our, our blog content, video blogs, all of that kind of stuff. 
So you can go to BroganFinancial.com. You can sign up for my newsletter. Um, you can also find out about my upcoming class at Pellissippi State Hardin Valley, Financial Survival for Retirement. It's in October. You can get our whole class schedule at BroganFinancial.com and click on classes, or you can go directly to PellissippiRetirementPlanning.com. We're talking about the weather this morning. It's so fascinating, and we've got Dr. Kelsey Ellis from the University of Tennessee on. And let's talk about some of these major events, Kelsey, and I know that's something you really specialize in. Um, we've had 14 named tropical storms events this year. And usually the 14th named storm occurs in mid-November, and it is mid-September. Why is this unusual, and are there concerns any additional concerns in a year with so many storms? Like, what is the longer-term ramification? Um, so, okay, so there are a few things there. One, um, we regularly see fluctuations in active hurricane seasons, which I'm sure you everyone's experienced, right? And so right now we're definitely in an above-normal season. Um, we're pretty good at forecasting um, whether or not uh, seasons will be above-normal or about-normal or below um, by checking out things like El Nino Southern Oscillation. I'm sure everyone's heard of El Nino, um, sea surface temperatures, and other like large-scale climate indices. And so how we've done that is we've looked at past years and said, well, what were the conditions when all those storms happened? And then we can say, well, these are the conditions this year, and this is what we can expect. Um, I think one of the most intimidating things about an active hurricane season is kind of the idea of kicking someone while they're down. Um, so we just had the New Orleans area, which obviously was extremely impacted by Ida. And then we had the remnants of Nicholas um, just dumping like five or six more inches of rain on them that they didn't need. Um, so during an active season, you're more likely to see things like that. Um, I'm also kind of wondering what the, the social impacts are of people maybe sitting through one hurricane and nothing happening. And then another one comes and maybe they don't listen to the warning, right? There's a lot of complex um, interactions with social science where um, with multiple hurricanes happen, what people end up doing with evacuating um, and whether or not they take it as seriously if they're not impacted by the first one. Um, and I will, just to connect this with climate change, I think it's interesting right now, um, in, especially in the North Atlantic Basin where the hurricanes come that affect us, we're not seeing more hurricanes actually happening overall. It feels that way um, because we, especially since the invention of satellites in the 70s, um, we see them all now, right? We see the ones in the middle of the ocean that just go away. Um, and so it ends up being named even though it never hit land. Um, so we're actually not seeing more. And the one thing that we think we're seeing because of climate change is that the strongest ones are getting even stronger. And so maybe what would have been a Cat 4 is now a Cat 5. And then maybe it's also moving slower, and so it's impacting people for longer periods of time, and maybe it's dumping more rain. But the frequency, interestingly, is not changing. Kelsey, we're visiting with Kelsey Ellis, a professor from the University of Tennessee, and we're talking about climate and meteorology. Uh, when we come back, I want to get into the tornado stuff and, and the fact that uh, the southeast now is, is being dubbed more as Tornado Alley. Well, how does that all that work? And also, how climate affects our emotions and our moods and depression and happiness and all those things. So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. 
Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in to More Living This Week. I'm Jim Brogan, your host. As you listen to more, as you listen to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, weather's so fascinating and the changes in our climate. We're visiting with Dr. Kelsey Ellis from the University of Tennessee, who specializes in meteorology and climatology. And uh, Kelsey, um, I hate that we're. I, I really could talk with you for another hour, but but let's try to get through some of this. I, I want to get into some of the tornado stuff. You know, East Tennessee doesn't usually have a lot of tornadoes. Now, we, we get them here and there, but Middle Tennessee has really been hit with some bad ones uh, over the few last few years. What causes the perfect conditions for a twister? Um, yeah, I could also talk about tornadoes for hours, especially Tennessee tornadoes. Um, what, what causes the perfect conditions depends on where you are. Um, so the tornadoes in the Great Plains, which some people dub Tornado Alley, um, scientists are trying to get us to stop using that term because, hey, look at the Southeast, right? People need to know they're at risk. So we'll just say the Great Plains tornadoes, um, they're caused by storms with a ton of instability, so like a hot surface and air that rises, and also something called wind shear, where winds change speed and direction with height. And that's really the typical um, conditions that you need for a supercell thunderstorm causing a strong tornado. But in the southeast, it's actually a little bit different. Um, we can get tornadoes. So while tornadoes in the Great Plains happen in the springtime, early summer, in the southeast, they happen, as one weather service forecaster in Morristown said, all year with a little off time. Um, and so we're currently ending our off time for tornadoes. It's just the summertime where we don't really get them in Tennessee. but here, what really helps us get a lot is that strong jet stream above us um, that allows really strong wind shear. So we don't need as much instability. And so we don't need a hot surface like they need in the springtime to get it. We can actually have them in the winter. We can have them at night um, because we have those really strong winds aloft. Kelsey, Kelsey, do I understand that you've done storm chasing? Yes, um, I oh used to go goodness. every year, and I, I hope to I hope to go back once my daughter gets a little bit older. I want to take her um, because it's just it's so cool. Like you know, in the southeast, storms are hidden by trees and by hills, and they're so um, filled. They're just drenched with rain, and so you can't really see anything. But when you're in, if anyone out there's been to Kansas, Oklahoma, and see a thunderstorm from afar, a strong thunderstorm, I mean, they're just beautiful. Um, so, yeah, I really hope to to take my family out there and, and show my daughter um, how cool science can really be up close. They are beautiful. I, I, when I visit my brother in Texas in the Abilene area, it's so full. You can just see for miles and miles and miles, and you can see a weather front miles away, and it just is amazing watching that. I, we don't see that here because of the hills and the mountains and all that. It's just mm-hmm. seeing something that far away. It really is amazing. Uh, Let's talk about, it's interesting, the the way climate can impact our emotion and our mood. And you've analyzed the relationship between climate and suicide rates. Can you just touch a little bit on climate and mood? I mean, what comes to mind when I see that, Kelsey, is like I could never live in a place like Seattle. 
just because mm-hmm. as beautiful as it is, I couldn't have it be misting. I mean, they, they don't have the heavy rain. It's more of a mist, but it's so much. And I, we've had these, you know, this extra rain here. And, you know, I love the lush green and, and all the great beauty that it provides. But, you know, it can really depress you. So talk a little bit about the effect of climate on mood and, and suicide rates. Yeah, so, you know, we're all acclimated to whatever our particular climate is, whether it's, you know, so the temperatures, the rainfall patterns and things like that. Um, But when the extremes happen, um, sometimes that can actually result in some mental, mental and physical illness, right? And so, I mean, we know that some signs of um, heat impacts on the body are lack of mental clarity. In fact, there's plenty of evidence showing that a lot of um, jobs where people are doing manual labor, injuries increase um, tremendously on really hot days because their mental awareness is gone um, and they end up getting really tired. And so we end up seeing these physical and mental health impacts from extreme climate um, scenarios. And so what we found was abnormally hot weeks um, ended up leading to larger um, high-end suicide weeks as well. Um, So it's a sensitive topic. It's really complex, right, because there's a lot of personal things going on. Um, But, yeah, it, it seems like heat can actually play a role in that. There was also a paper that came out a few years ago looking specifically at farmers. And they were looking in India, but I imagine it's probably the same everywhere. And you can predict the number of farmers in India that will commit suicide based on how abnormally hot or dry that season is. Um, So for people whose jobs and livelihoods rely on the weather, um, their mental health will be greatly impacted. Kelsey, my last question, we're only going to have about 30 or 40 seconds, so I I just Mm -hmm. have to be very succinct, but Knoxville has pledged to make some changes to the carbon footprint, and measures include a 50% reduction in greenhouse gas by 2030 for municipal operations, and an 80% reduction in greenhouse gas by 2050 for the entire community. What measures can you and I and us living in Knoxville do to reduce our carbon footprint reasonably? Yeah, um, we can drive less. Um, We can try to avoid things like fast technology and fast fashion where we throw things away and replace them really fast. We can hold on to things longer um, and try to avoid using as much energy, turn off lights, turn off our computers, things like that. This is Kelsey Ellis, Dr. Kelsey Ellis. She's a professor over at the University of Tennessee, really specializes in climatology and meteorology and especially significant weather events. It's fascinating. I want to have you on in the future. I know I do. Uh, maybe in another four months or so and just kind of look at where we are and as we get into the winter months. So, But thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule today and doing what you do over at the University of Tennessee with young people. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks a lot, Jim. Have a great day. Absolutely. That's Dr. Kelsey Ellis from the University of Tennessee. Uh, if you missed part of that and you want to hear more of it, you can. Uh, we, we, we're, we play every Saturday morning at 9 and again at 3 p.m. You can also podcast us at our website, broganfinancial.com. Click on radio. My next class is at the Pellissippi State Community College, Thrive Financially in Retirement. It's two two-hour sessions. You can find out more at pellissippiretirementplanning.com. Thank you to Chris for engineering the show. Thank you to Jilt for producing the show. We've discussed weather and how weather impacts our lives because a greater life provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. 
Thank you for tuning in to More Living with Jim Brogan, only on Knoxville's News and Talk of East Tennessee, News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.